Hey, welcome to our Public Church podcast. We hope this message blesses you today. For more information on Public Church, please see us on www.public.church. Excellent. It's so good to see you. Um, ben, you can go. Thank you so much. Cameron forgot to mention, it was my father-in-law's birthday tomorrow, looking all dapper in his, what we call his AOG get-up today, because he's wearing a suit jacket, right? Oh, I did not say suit. I knew it was a suit because the pants and the jacket don't match. Well, they match, but they're not exactly the same colour. He's giving me the thumbs down. What is that? You don't get your gift tomorrow. And I bought it back from Hawaii when we went there last year. I might just keep it. You better be nice to me now, Dad. No, but there. Why don't we all say happy birthday, Colin? And so forth. (laughs) Some of us know what that means. Benny thinks that's funny. Um, I cannot wait to share the word with you today. For those of you that were here last week, we talked about, remember, there's hope in struggle. (laughs) He said struggle. Oh, look at these two blaming each other. They tried. Look, my teacher's side says, you know, look, you get a prize for try- trying, but you got it wrong, boys. Hope in suffering. Boys, can you say suffering for me? Joey? I do think that was CJ's voice. <laughs> Hope in suffering and there's blood in the in the water. So, um, yeah, Cameron was actually going to be preaching today, but I like last night, literally, I'm like, babe, I really, I kind of haven't finished. And he was like, no worries, you can preach, all yours. Uh, so today, moving on from there's blood in the water, we're talking about what's that smell? Everyone say, what's that smell? And I promise it will be all good. It won't, not foul smells like my puppy dog at the moment, but uh, good smells. Smells are one of the most powerful senses that we have because they're actually, our smell is linked to our memory and our smell is linked to our limbic system, which is where all of our emotions are, right? That's a bit of good. Jackson's eyebrows went up. When, whenever we say something of great revelation, Jackson's eyebrows go up. It happens at college all the time and it encourages me. He's like, that's good. That's his way of going, that's good. So it's connected to our limbic system. Uh, So when I first met Cameron, and uh, actually I was the life group leader, mum and dad will testify to this because they were there. So despite what Cameron might tell you, if you'd like the real story, come to mum or dad, Bennett or myself. Do not come to Cameron. I was his life group leader and he was my assistant. I did not chase him or ask him out. I was a good pastoral person who actually wanted to train him in the ways of good pastoral care like I did with all my assistants and said, you need to come on some visits with me, right? And mum and dad are fully like nodding here, like I have complete good intention. However, he he would drive my car and when I'd get back in after, I could always smell his aftershave on my seatbelt and it was like, (laughs) just like... For a couple of days, it was so, right? It was like nice aftershave. I was like, this is, he always smelt nice and was really well-groomed, yes? Did you want to say something? No, it was my seatbelt. I wasn't sniffing you. It was the smell you left. You know what it's like? It was better than leaving BO. I could be saying you left BO smell in my car. Anyway, so needless to say, you know, we end up getting together, but but whenever I smell Escape Calvin Klein, it is still my favourite smell to this day because that's Cameron's 
aftershave back like 22 years ago when we met, right? So how powerful are smells, right? Like you don't want to get together with someone that smells bad. Like you have to get together with someone that smells good. Okay. <laughs> he still smells good. Why are you all laughing? I will tell you if you smell bad. Anyone comes to the academy, won't I? Bobby's nodding. If you smell bad, I'll tell you because I want you to find a partner in life, right? Totally. So now, now, now I'm going to make you not laugh now. So at my Nana's funeral in January, now, right? That was a low one to pull, wasn't it? They're all like, smiles just went. But, but honestly, at my Nana's funeral, when she passed away in January, my family, I've got a very big family, but no one is a Christian except my Nana was and myself and my sister. And so my whole family were like, Renee, you do, you do the funeral. You have to talk on our behalf. And so I really, my Nana was so greatly loved. I felt great responsibility to try and share what she meant to all of us. And I was really struggling to put something together. And the only way that I could describe my Nana was to actually use my five senses. And so at the eulogy at her funeral, I went through the five senses. And honestly, afterwards, I literally had people coming up to me who I didn't know after the funeral saying, can you please do my funeral? And I'm like... I don't know you, so like, no, <laughs> I don't know. But it, I just went through the senses and it, and it just engaged everyone because we talked about, you know, Nana's perfume and what she smelled like when she hugged us and there was always the smell of drippy coffee in her house and, and, you know, and what she, and all of the sounds that reminded us and, you know, it's our senses that engage us so powerfully. So to bring this back to the cross, there's so much beautiful imagery around the cross and God has engaged all of our five senses around the cross because maybe he too had no other words for what happened that day. Because when you love somebody so much, sometimes there are no words. And the only way to describe something is to use our senses. And there are so many tastes and sounds and smells at the foot of the cross. And I want to focus today on our sense of smell and actually the incredibly beautiful and powerful imagery that you wouldn't even know perhaps is embedded in the story of Jesus and his death on the and cross and, the, and, his, blah, 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 and his resurrection. So turn with me to our focus scripture for today is John chapter 19 verse 28 to 30. So turn with me in your Bibles. I was so, I actually took a photo the other night, I was so blessed to see at our volunteer night a whole stack of young people on the front row with their actual Bibles. I took a photo and edited in circle, circle, circle. Love it when people bring hard, hard copy Bible. Verse 28 to 30, it's also on the screen and I'm reading from the Amplified Bible. So we obviously looked at the piercing of his side and this is to right towards the end now of his time on the cross. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished or ended, Said in fulfillment of the scripture, I thirst. A vessel or bowl full of sour wine, vinegar, was placed there. So they put a sponge soaked in the sour wine on a stalk, a reed of hyssop, and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. This is what I wanted to know. Why did Jesus give up his spirit? On the ninth hour, which this was the ninth hour, right after he was offered sour wine on a sponge. What did that mean? Why? What was significant about him giving up his spirit 
on the ninth hour, right after he received or it was put to his lips, some sour wine on a sponge. So we're going to have a bit of a walk through the Bible on the imagery of smell and how it's actually weaved really significantly through this. My first point is this, so write this down, point number one, Jesus is the sweet-smelling sacrifice. Jesus is the sweet-smelling sacrifice. So Jesus died on the ninth hour, so what was significant about the ninth hour? So follow me with this. The Jewish day was divided into 12 hours, three watches, and they were dedicated to prayer and sacrificial ceremonies. So this would happen at the third hour, the sixth hour, and the ninth hour. And around the time of Christ, there was actually four hours. The first one was 6 a.m. So there was a first hour, a third, a sixth, and a, and a ninth. Significantly, this tied in with the events that also happened on the cross. So the third hour is the hour that Jesus was first crucified, which was 9 a.m. The sixth hour was when darkness covered the land, which was noon. And the ninth hour, Jesus gave up his spirit and died. And that was at 3 p.m. So we're just going to hone in there, are you with me, on the ninth hour, okay? Two things would always happen in the Jewish ceremonies on the ninth hour. Two things would happen. It would happen in the morning and it would happen again at the evening, at the ninth hour or late afternoon. The first one was that the sac- the time, it was the time for the evening sacrifice, Right? It was the time to sacrifice the lamb. It was the usual time for slaying the Passover lamb. And the second thing, it was also the time that the priests would burn the beautiful smelling incense and the people would then pray. Are you with me? We've got two things that happen, a sacrificial lamb and a beautiful sweet smelling incense. So if you have a look at Acts chapter 3, verse 1, in the New Testament, you can still see there Peter and John went up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. So they would have seen the smoke billowing and known it was time to come back and to pray. Now, after the evening sacrifice was made, what would happen? Everyone would wait. And they were waiting for the incense to be burned. And at the first sign of smoke, they would fall to their knees. All would go quiet and they would be able to smell the frankincense, the myrrh, the cinnamon, the cassia and all the other herbs and spices. And then everyone would get on their knees and they would pray at that time. And this was the most important part of the day, even more important than the sacrifice. And, you know, it was said that that smell of incense could be smelled up to 50 miles away. How interesting that God's sweet-smelling aroma was so invasive for the Jewish people. Are you with me? So all through the Old Testament, I'm not going to open up to these scriptures, but for those that would like to go back later and have a look, all through the Old Testament, it talked about any smell of burnt offering or incense was pleasing to God. So Leviticus 1.9, the smell of the burnt offering... It was pleasing to God. And then Leviticus 2.2 is an example where the Bible talks about how the sweet incense was pleasing to God. So here we've got these, these, um, this beautiful incense that's going up on the third hour and on the ninth hour and how it was pleasing to God. King David said in Psalm 141 verse 2, And again, this is a direct reference to these customs. Let my prayer be set forth as incense before you. Does that make sense to you now? 
That's why, that's why David put that in there. My prayer will be set forth as incense because when they smelt the incense, they would pray. The lifting up of my hands is the evening sacrifice. Everyone say, what's that smell? On the cross, Jesus did both once and for all. He was our sacrificial lamb and he was the sweet-smelling sacrifice. Let me take you to a New Testament scripture to prove and to show you that he was the sweet-smelling sacrifice. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 to 2. This is from the NIV. The Bible says, "...he follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us." And look at this, "...gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God." Isn't that interesting that at the ninth hour when the Jews would normally be, um, would be sacrificing their, their lamb and would be making their burnt offering and their, and their incense, that at that very hour, Jesus on the ninth hour became the sacrificial lamb and his body and his death went up to heaven as a sweet smelling sacrifice to God. It was no mistake that he died exactly on the ninth hour. And he did that because he was saying to everyone, you no longer have to do that anymore. You no longer have to sacrifice a lamb anymore. You no longer have to have your incense blowing around anymore. I am the sacrificial lamb. I've done it once and for all. You don't have to keep coming back and coming back and coming back. I am the sweet-smelling sacrifice. You don't have to keep offering a sweet-smelling sacrifice. My life is the sacrifice. What can we learn from that? That Jesus is enough, full stop. That my point number one was that Jesus is the sweet-smelling sacrifice. We don't have to try. He paid the price, full stop. Isn't that a relief? Isn't that a relief? We could just do no more and sit right at that and go, Jesus paid the price. He is, he was, and still is the sweet-smelling sacrifice. That means we don't have to try to be good. We don't have to try to be better. We don't have to try to be perfect or strive more. Some of us, we try so hard, we exhaust ourselves. You know, some of you, and I know for me, my personality, I'm very much a perfectionist. And so I'm a bit of a striver and I work hard and I'm a trier. And I can sometimes fall into that trap where I literally exhaust myself from trying so hard. When you know what? It's not my works anyway that gets me to heaven. Jesus has already paid the price. He is the sweet smelling sacrifice. I don't have to try and be better. I don't have to exhaust myself and stress. I can just sit and I can be and accept his sacrifice for me. Some of us, we try to fix ourselves. One of my favorite scriptures in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy, I think it's 1 verse 6, talks about I've gone around this mountain long enough. And I don't know how many times I remember having grown up in a divorced home and then trying to work out who do I marry and how do I know that if I get married, it's going to be for life. And I don't even know how to do this whole relationship thing. And I remember God speaking to me about that scripture saying, you're walking around the same mountain and the same mountain and enough is enough. We don't have to try. Maybe for some of you, you feel like you're walking around the same mountain and you just need to stop and be and realize that the sweet smelling sacrifice has already gone up for you today. Number two. Jesus' sweet-smelling sacrifice covers every other stench. Jesus' sweet-smelling sacrifice covers every other stench. Although the exact route to the crucifixion is unknown, there's general agreement that it took place at Golgotha, which actually was a garbage dump. It was the town dump. Has anyone ever gone to the dump? 
My, I used to go with my dad to the garbage dump in Adelaide. And believe me, if you've seen some shows on Adelaide, there were some interesting things in the garbage dumps of Adelaide. It stank. There was, there's a certain part of Adelaide... Um, sorry, now I do need that water. My throat's really dry. Um, there's this part of Adelaide called... Um, is it Wingfield where they... Where they thanks. They slaughter the lamb, the whatever they do to the animals... And it stinks and you can smell the wafting. If you, like, you drive past, you've got to put your windows up. It's, it's a horrible stench. That's exactly what it would have smelt like around where Jesus died. It was a horrible, smelly dump. You know, there's a, a story that I want to show you and I'm hoping that the video, the video works. Um, there, was a tit- there was a historian from the Titanic. I think his name was Bill, yes. And... He had worked on the Titanic for years and years and years. And their job was to take everything up from the Titanic and they would bring it back to a lab. And he said that the smell in the lab was the smell of death. Everything was wet and everything had obviously been sitting in the ocean for a long time and it was a horrible smell. But he said one day, somebody that went down brought up this leather satchel bag And inside the leather satchel bag were all these beautiful vials of perfume because obviously back then that's how they would have their perfume in these beautiful vials. And as they began to open the perfume, instead of this horrible stench, there was this beautiful aroma that filled the lab. If we can try and throw to that video, that would be great. The one thing I'll remember about Titanic artifacts of the day I die is when the Saffeld perfume vials came up. When you recover stuff from the Titanic, it's wet, it's rusty, and it's rotten. And the smell that comes off it is perfectly alien, perfectly fetid. You know it's a kind of death you have never experienced. And so the lab is kind of unpleasant. And then all of a sudden, somebody opens up this satchel, this leather satchel, and out comes the fragrance of heaven. It's all these flowers and fruity flavors, and it's delicious. It's the most wonderful thing you've ever had. Um, it was just a complete, overwhelming experience. It was like, all of a sudden, the fragrance of heaven, you know, kind of goes through the room. So, instead of being surrounded by all of these dead things, um, for those few minutes, the ship was alive again. <laughs> Just for a few minutes, that ship was alive again. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, it was the sweet fragrance of heaven that filled that place that day. It didn't matter how much that garbage dump had smelt. Jesus was the sweet-smelling sacrifice, the resurrection, new new life out of death, the fragrance of heaven spilling in and out and over the stench of decay. See how moved he was? See how a smell moved him? You know at the start how I talked about how smells move us because of our memory and our emotions? Can you imagine being there the day that Jesus died? Even as I I was thinking about this and, and imagining the sweet smell of his death just covering all of the stench, all of the rottenness, not just around him but in our own lives. The fragrance of heaven that day spilled out over the stench of death. What can we learn from that? 
that Jesus' sweet-smelling sacrifice is more than enough to cover our shortfalls. His sweet-smelling sacrifice is more than enough to cover our sin, our struggles, the things we hide, the things we're ashamed of, the thoughts, that habit. Maybe there's something in your life that has been dead and God today wants to breathe upon it with new life. Maybe there's a dream, been a dream in your heart and you thought your life was going to go a particular way. In fact, this is speaking to people right here, right now, that you thought your life was in a particular, going in a particular direction and you've come to a dead end and you feel disillusioned and disappointed. But I'm telling you today that the sweet smelling fragrance of Jesus is spilling out over that thing, that nothing in your life is dead today. Nothing in your life is at a dead end today, that Jesus is bringing new life. He's bringing a beautiful fragrance of heaven where you think that there's death and stench and nothing but the end. Number three, what smell are we offering back to God? What smell are we offering back to God? You know, the Roman soldiers were the ones that offered up the sour wine on a stick of hyssop to Jesus' lips that that moment before he said, it is finished. Now, I want you to do your own research on this. I have researched and researched, and there are a lot of differing views about what was it that was put up to his lips did he drink it or didn't he drink it? The word received, if you do a bit of a, a, a search into the word, when it says that he received the wine, some people say that that word received meant it was forced on him. Some people say that in the wine was some myrrh, which was like a sedative to help him through the pain and that he didn't take it on purpose because he wanted to feel the full effect of the pain. But there's also other research out there, and I'm just going to put it before you today, And this kind of resonated with me because to me, it just doesn't make much sense that the Roman soldiers who'd been trying to kill him all day, they hit him, spit on him, ridiculed him, put thorns on his head, made him carry his own cross, nailed him to it, gambled over his clothes. I don't understand why all of a sudden that'd show a moment of compassion. And there is some thinking around this. And again, I encourage you to go back and do your own research. But to me, I was like, this really spoke to me. A sponge on a stick was actually the Roman equivalent of toilet paper. And that is how they used to clean themselves on a stick and people would make money off of it. And so what they would do to be able to clean the stick between people, they would dip it in a solution of sour wine or vinegar to cleanse it and they'd they'd use it and then they'd dip it again and they'd use it. I know, right? So fascinating. And so the other scenario is that the sour wine was offered out of compassion to help him. You'll see these two kind of conflicting views. But either way, it was a stench. It would have stunk. Has anyone smelt vinegar? Like I, I actually, okay, I make my own cleaning products sometimes. I love essential oils, right? If they're good enough for Jesus, they're good enough for me, right? We love lemongrass and frankincense and Cameron loves all these smells too. So we're always burning something. I clean with it. I even do tick spray for my dogs with my lemongrass. Really good rather than chemicals, blah, blah, blah. Where was I going? Oh, my shower spray's got like some vinegar in it and Cameron hates it because he's like, it stinks. And I try and mask it with the essential oils, but it smells It's a putrid smell of vinegar. What can we learn from this? The the soldiers, what they offered up to Jesus. And it's this, that the cross is not just about what Jesus offered to us, but what we are offering back. We can't just receive all the benefits of the cross and not give something back. 
It requires us to live a different life. Jesus died for those Roman soldiers, and yet what did they do in return? They offered up something putrid and disgusting back in return to him. What is it that we are offering back to Jesus when he has done so much for us? Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15. For we are the sweet fragrance of Christ, which exhales unto God, discernible alike among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Well, the NIV version says this, We are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. What can we learn today? That our lives are to be a sweet-smelling sacrifice. You know, I used to sing this song as a, as a young person, as a kid from my Uniting Church, something about being a sweet-smelling sacrifice. I had no idea what it meant, but I just knew it was something good. I wanted to smell good to God. I wanted my life to smell good to Him. What are we offering back up to our Lord and Saviour? Are we offering a life of sacrifice when it's only convenient to us because the cross was never convenient to Him? And this is something today that, that Cameron and I, this is probably one of the reasons that we're still so passionate about young people and youth alive is because we don't want young people to think that God is just something of convenience to take when we want to take it and to leave when we want to leave it. That we're all in. We want our kids to be all in. We want our youth ministry to be all in. We want the entire, everyone that walks into public, we want them to be people who are all in because Jesus was all in for us offering a life do we think about him sometimes and pray to him occasionally when he thinks about us every time and prays for us always and I know I'm talking to all of us here today myself included do we come to church once a month because he's somewhere down there on the priority list somewhere amongst sleep-ins kids sport and a Sunday off when in reality we're nothing but his priority I don't understand this new trend of people choosing to come to church once a month, once every three weeks, once every six weeks. Jesus stayed on that cross the entire time for me. In our household, we will serve the Lord. In our household, we will go to church. I'm so thankful to mum and dad Bennett that even when Cameron walked away from God and he would go away on the Saturday night and he'd party and he'd be drinking, do you know what they said the next morning? Get in the car, you're going to church. I think that is one of the best things you can do. You're wondering about your kids. If they're in your household, you say to them, you're getting in the car and you're going to church. Do we forget about him until we're in trouble when he remembers us every second of the day? Do we chase our wants rather than his will? What does your life smell like today? What does my life smell like today? Is it more like the pungent sponge that was offered and he refused? Or when he looks at our life, does he see a beautiful, sweet-smelling sacrifice? Do we prefer him above all else? Do we chase his will and love him with all our heart and soul and all of our being? Because that is what he's looking for. That's what the scripture says is a sweet-smelling sacrifice to him. You know, it's interesting that one chapter before Christ's death, one chapter, which was actually in, in, in real time, two days before his death, there were, we read of a woman who gave up a sweet-smelling sacrifice in the form of an alabaster jar of perfume. And we'll have a quick read. I can't see the time at all. I don't know what time it is. Ten minutes? Okay, cool. Normally there's a TV there. It's not one. All good. So let's have a quick read of this one. Matthew chapter 26, verse 7 to 13. A woman came up to him 
to Jesus with an alabaster flask of very precious perfume. And she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. Now remember, this is two days before he's going to be crucified. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, For what purpose is all this waste? For this perfume might have been sold for a large sum and the money given to the poor. But Jesus, fully aware of this, said to them, Why do you bother the woman? She's done a notable, praiseworthy and beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this perfume on my body, she has done something to prepare me for my burial. And truly I tell you, wherever this good news is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will be told in memory of her. The woman with the alabaster box, she bought her best. And what she offered straight to Jesus ministered to Jesus. Now remember the scripture before that we looked at that said in 2 Corinthians in chapter 2, that we are the sweet fragrance of Christ unto God. That's exactly what that woman was doing, what her offering to the Lord. Our life actually ministers to the Lord. What we do is a sweet-smelling sacrifice to Him. When we give it back to Him, He is so pleased. The cross is not just about what was given, but what we give back. Number four, and we'll finish with this one. What smell do others detect from me? I could have the band come. What smell do others detect from me? So again, this same scripture, 2 Corinthians 2 verse 15. The first part talks about that my life is a sweet fragrance unto God, but it is discernible. Our fragrance, our life, what we offer up to God is actually discernible among the saved and the unsaved. Our life has a smell to it. It has a vibe. It has an atmosphere to it. And it's discernible, not just to other Christians. It's very discernible to people who are not saved. And that's kind of a responsibility, right? That people do watch. And that people are aware. And especially if we go to church. The day that we buried my Nana and I got up and I spoke... And I knew that I was speaking to a room full of people that didn't love or believe God. And one of the things I talked about was how much my Nana's life was a fragrance of her love for God. And people were so moved. I remember there was a few people that came up to me at the end and they go, oh, you're a really good speaker, you're a good speaker, blah, blah, blah. There was one man that came up to me and his son is a pastor here in Queensland. He's a cousin of my Nana and he's almost 90 and he came up to me in the funeral, after the funeral, and he, and he got close into my ear and he goes, you're a Christian, aren't you? I'm like, yes, I am. How can you tell? He goes, I can tell. So what other people thought was a good, that was good speaking, it wasn't good speaking. It was the anointing. It was the anointing that they could feel, but they didn't know to have words for it. What do people, what do people sense when you're around them? Can they sense the love of God? Can they sense the anointing of God? I'm not saying that we're not going to make mistakes and be human. We're all that. But still, there's a very clear responsibility here in the Scripture that the saved and the unsaved alike can discern the smell of our life. And again, if we go back to the woman with the alabaster box, right at the end, it says that wherever the good news is preached that this story would be told. 
You see, her story became his story, which moved people to salvation. And that ultimately is the will of God, that his story of the cross and the resurrection becomes our story, which moves people. It's the whole ethos of public church is Matthew chapter 5, that we be generous with our lives so that we would prompt people to open up to their Father in heaven, right? And so as we have our lives as a sweet-smelling sacrifice, we're giving back to God, and whether we like it or not, or whether we acknowledge it or not, we all have a smell being detected by the world.